So if you haven't been with us, maybe you haven't been with us, maybe you have been with us, maybe you just need a reminder, I'm going to give you a little recap. We've been in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we, it's three chapters, uh, and we went through the first two over the last couple weeks, and tonight we're in chapter three, going to be walking through that. And so here's a, here's a little recap of where we've been, and, and this is so important for us to understand uh, what the power and meaning of this prayer, um, that it is powerful and has deep meaning. <laughs> So the book of Habakkuk. God has chosen uh, the people Judah uh, as his own, the people of Judah, the tribe of Judah. Like from the whole nation of Israel, he's, he's zeroed in on the tribe of Judah. But Habakkuk sees all around him in Judah, all he sees is wickedness and violence. He sees injustice and corruption, and not just in like the back alleys, but in places of power and in the hearts of people in general. Like, like society at large has just gone off the rails and forsaken the Lord. To Habakkuk, the, the disease of this world seems to have overtaken the, the very people who were set apart to combat it. And he's just taking like deep breaths. And looking up and just going, how? How can this be? How could you let this happen? How can this be? How can it be this bad? How have we gotten so far? And surely we today are not immune of that same despair. When we see and mourn over the failures and unloving, unrighteous moments and actions of the body of Christ, of the church itself, of the people within it. And I just want to encourage you, as we go through this, I want to encourage you, uh, as you look around the world, but most importantly, as you look at the church, at the people sitting next to you, at me, be like Habakkuk, who mourns and despairs at the failures of his people, and he won't stand for it. He won't stand for it. He calls for them to do better. For God to bring justice even within his own nation if it means them turning back to him and living rightly, being that torch that he intends them to be rather than causing destruction in the name of the one who meant to remedy all destruction. Be like Habakkuk, who in those things he did it so faithfully. It wasn't just that he mourned it and despaired at it and was willing to call it out, but that primarily and principally above all, he had faith. And his faith does not rise and fall with God's people because his hope and his eyes are fixed on the God who supersedes them. Be like Habakkuk, even when you see the destruction, the brokenness, Sin within this body of Christ. Would you still be like Habakkuk and may your faith not rise and fall with this, but may be entirely anchored in him? So Habakkuk, he's in despair at what he observes. And he cries out to God, complaining about all of this. And God responds with this very unexpected answer, like super unexpected answer. And God is intent on punishing the people of Judah for their sins. He's like, there will be justice and consequences in Judah. That's what God tells Habakkuk, and that should be a comfort. That's what he is calling out for, that they wouldn't just run away off the rails, but that God would correct them and pull them back, that justice would reign. 
But then God tells Habakkuk something that just blows his mind. He tells him uh, that he's going to use the notoriously brutal Babylonians as the instrument of his judgment on Judah. And this leaves Habakkuk just totally stunned. Totally stunned, like baffled, bewildered, whatever word you want to put in there. He's like, so let me get this straight. <laughs> like, You're going to have an unjust, unrighteous people experience judgment for their wrongdoing by having an even more unrighteous people be elevated over them? How is that consistent with who you are, God? How? I think we all relate to this in some way. At some point in time, we we can understand where Habakkuk is at. We see and experience tragedy, suffering, sickness that's just wrong. We see corruption and wickedness continue to amass more and more power for those who wield it. And it just seems like there's no recompense. There's no, there's no consequences for their treachery. It just doesn't make sense. Habakkuk hears God's plan. And he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. In Judah, these people are Jews. They at least have illusions of righteousness. At the very least, they have concepts of the creator God and his defining love and justice and mercy. The Babylonians, man, they, they're going to bring with them more injustice, more wickedness, more violence. This makes no sense. And Habakkuk, in absolute faith, waits patiently for God's response and is expectant of it. He complains to the right person. My wife often says it, it's only, uh, this maybe isn't like the perfect thing, but it, it kind of works. It's only gossip if you're complaining to somebody who can't do anything about it. Thanks. <laughs> Does that make sense? But if you're complaining to the person who can do something about it, it's not gossip. It's actually the right thing to do. If you're going to complain, it's only complaining in, in an unhealthy sense, if you're complaining to someone who can do nothing about it, Habakkuk understands that, maybe. And he goes to the right person. He complains to God, and he expects a response. And God does respond. He responds to his confusion. Habakkuk receives far more than he asked for in the visions that God gives him. In a nutshell, God makes clear that everything is under his control. That he may use one entity's power to punish another, but in the end, no person, no nation will escape God's attention and his righteous judgment. God makes clear that nothing will escape his wrath if it's deserving of it. That sounds daunting, but it should be comforting. There will be justice. There will be justice. For Habakkuk, seeing these pictures of God as supreme judge bolsters his trust in God, his trust in God's discernment, God's decision-making. And he still doesn't understand it. He still doesn't get it. But he believes in the one who is overseeing it. The visions give him the courage to live through the dark days with determination and strength. The revelation of God's preeminent perspective on humanity and all history, spanning the spiritual and the physical, it renews his faith. 
He may not understand what God is doing, but he can be sure of one thing and take comfort in it. That God's loving and God is powerful and he is in control. His loving, powerful God is in control. And when injustice and cruelty seem rampant, he holds to God's words. And God told him, he says, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. From this renewed place of faith in God as judge and savior, Habakkuk writes a song. He writes a prayer which makes up the whole of chapter three. And that's what we're walking through tonight. We're going to start in verse two. Verse one basically just says, this is a song of Habakkuk. So we're going to jump to verse two. It reads like this. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk's prayer begins with humility, with an acknowledgement of what he has just been shown and an acceptance of what God has planned. From there, he lobbies God. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. And what he's saying here is, is Lord, revive your work among your people. In the midst of the years of adversity that lie ahead of them, revive your work among them. He's like, as you have shown me, I get it. I understand there's great tribulation coming. Lord, would you be faithful to revive your people along the way? In our day, this may be applied to every season when the church or believers suffer under uh, afflictions and trials. That we could remember that we're promised trials. Jesus says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things. He's talking uh, about suffering and the suffering that was ahead of the disciples. And he says, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, in me you can find peace. In the midst of that trouble, you can find peace. Though you go on the rocky crags, your feet will not fail. And you will be comforted no matter how brutal and jagged they might be. God's heart surely is so, so close to us as we go through painful and terrible things. He's there with us. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I think it's beautiful that it says, your rod and your staff comfort me. Comfort and correction. They both are what comfort me. They both are what protect me and guide me. You are with me. While we, uh, I can speak for myself at least, maybe for all of you, are often quick to ask for the trials to be removed. Perhaps the companion prayer that we have neglected is this. Lord, in the midst of this, revive me. Revive us. Use this to bring about revival and renewal among your people. Use this to open my eyes to your companionship and your aching heart for people like me who are suffering. Revive me, Lord. Revive us, Lord. It's not just a prayer to remove, but a prayer to be transformed, to be made better. 
That is God's intent. Habakkuk, Habakkuk continues uh, with that thought, and he says, In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's like, Lord, may this revival that I'm asking you to do, would it be evident? May we see it. God, give us glimmers of your good hand at work that we might not despair entirely. And of course, remember your mercy. Mercy is, is what we must flee to for refuge. And it's what we must rely upon as our only plea before God. We must not say, Lord, remember my merit. Lord, remember my worth. Remember how good I am. Remember what I've done. But Lord, remember your own mercy. That is our only plea before God. In prayer, I find that I often forget my place. And in doing so, I miss the beauty and wonder of the embrace and listening ear of a God who is so mercifully willing to listen. To realize my place before him. I have no authority. I have no ground to stand on to be there except what he has given me, except for his mercy. You know, years ago, I was reading through the book of Daniel and, and was just struck, just totally like frozen by the way he ends his prayer in Daniel 9. He prays this long, beautiful prayer, this important prayer for the people of God. And he ends it with this, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Now, I, not too long ago, somebody was uh, talking to me about how we pray uh, often we'll end a prayer, right? In the name of Jesus, amen. In the name of Jesus. And, and they commented about how perhaps we shouldn't end our prayer within the name of Jesus. Perhaps we should begin our prayer with that. And, and I've made some of, somewhat of a habit of that. And man, has it been shaping to start off from the very beginning to remember my place. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come before you. And only in that name do I have any reason or way to be before you. He is the one who makes the way. He is the one that has brought me here before you. Without him, I could not stand. I could not be here. You would, there would be no reason for you to listen. To remember that it is by mercy that we have been brought into the throne room. Mercy is our only plea. It's our only plea. And only God's mercy could deliver us from the wrath our failures deserve. Only God's mercy would allow us to enter his throne room. Only mercy could explain the reception and privilege we have at the foot of the God of the universe. Habakkuk continues in verse 3. He, this song continues. He says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. And the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. The mountains saw you and writhed. 
Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. His prayer turns to this poetic remembrance and praise of what God has done and will do on behalf of his people. As Habakkuk remembered how God saved in the past, it filled him with faith for what God could do in the present and in the future. It's a declaration that God is ruler of creation itself, that he outlasts the great mountains and even the sun and moon stand still before him. We read verse 13 here. He says, you came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. God's plans will result in salvation for his chosen people and humiliation and destruction for wickedness and for the one who is in charge of all wickedness. Of course, uh, he is speaking specifically of the people of Judah and the king of the Babylonians. But in an inspired, prophetic twist, he's also declaring Jesus' victory over sin and death itself. That Jesus, just like was told in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, would be the one who would rise up and would crush the head of the serpent, would crush the head of the devil. That the devil, our great enemy, that death, that sin, our great enemies, would be crushed and humiliated before the anointed one. Habakkuk's prayer acknowledges that God is preeminent in all things. The mountains, the sun, the moon, nations, heavens, everything bows to him. These things, uh, past and things present, things to come, all of it, he's in charge of it all. I want you to remember From the beginning of this book of Habakkuk, of of this story, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. He has seen rampant injustice, and then it seems that God will use an even greater injustice to remedy this current injustice, and, and he's just been mourning. He's been waiting and looking past all the things of this world, looking past trivialities to the only thing that truly matters or lasts. He looks past all of it, even his own sorrow, even his own understanding. He looks past it to God and he finds him. When we lift our eyes like Habakkuk and see God as he is, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. It's not to say that they don't matter, that the things of this world don't matter. They do, but they pale in comparison to him. Be that beautiful achievements or dreadful trials and suffering, they pale in comparison to him. Whatever it might be, good, bad, to quiet our hearts and still our strivings and just behold him, And just enter into his company and let him say whatever he intends to say. 
and believe whatever he says he's going to do. Surely, if we do that, surely we will hear his whisper. He just says, quiet, shh, my child, be still. I'll take care of this. I'm going to take care of this. In my patient, powerful way, in my own unhurried way, I'm going to take care of this. The question for all of us, for all of us, as it was for Habakkuk, is do we believe him? Do we believe him? There are things in this world that hold great value for us, incredible value for us. Things that we all see, even it, all of creation, it seems all of humanity sees these things and is like, yeah, that's good. We, we all know it's hardwired, it's built within us to value these things. Things like love, justice, happiness, comfort, joy, pleasure. Things you can't find in a store, Right? But we certainly look for them in stores or in a person or in an achievement. Things we cling to when the rising tide of sin and brokenness seem to never stop. Things we go to that we think are the cure, are the solution. And all these things are good. These are really good. They're really good. Yet as an end in themselves, they fall short. Because all these things find their definition and transcendent value in the person who defines them and upholds them. And that is God himself. These are good things to pursue, to champion, to desire in your life and in this world. And if we pursue virtues like these, independent of the Holy Spirit, we may be missing the forest for the trees. When we pursue these things on our own, when the purest intentions that we might have succumb to our limited perspective and wisdom, and it will, it will, it will result, and often does, in the opposite of what we set out to achieve, in the opposite of these very things. We need the one who is transcendent and beyond us to be the guide and the captain. For Habakkuk, justice was his thing. He, didn't, he, he had something in mind. And what God had in mind wasn't what he had in mind. Yet he put himself in a place to say, I know what I think, but what you think is what's right. Each one of these things I think we look at, and we have our own ideas of what it ought to be, how it should have come about. But we need to submit that to the Lord. We need to follow him because he's the one who actually defines these things. He's the one who actually creates these things, embodies them, animates them. That's why, for all of us, when the seas are rough and the waves overwhelming, we would do well to have faith in the one who commands those things. But even when he's asleep in the stern, <laughs> And he seems in every way to be unaware of the peril and pain that presents itself to us. He is still in charge and he is still with us. He has not left us to face pain and peril alone, nor is he ultimately indifferent to it. He's right there with us in the boat. 
We have no reason to fear. The preeminence of God dwarfs pleasures and pain, virtues and faults. That's not to say such things don't matter. They do matter. And they matter to him. Surely they do. But progress towards any meaningful end or true comfort blossoms in the light of God's preeminence in his superiority and our submission to it and our faith in him. Habakkuk's song and prayer reflects a man who has come to this ultimate realization that the veil has been torn from his face and he has seen clearly the reality of what stands before him. God, the one in charge, and he is good. Habakkuk continues in verse 16 and he writes this, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. His doubt has been redeemed and become faith. The terror and convolutedness of this wretched Babylonians of those people, that terrible nation being used by God to bring judgment upon God's holy people. The doubt that he had about the, the, the lack of understanding was the soil for Habakkuk's questioning God. And that terror and confusion has not gone away. But the greater glory of God has overshadowed his doubts so that doubt has paved the way to faith. He continues, or, or at the end there, he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He's like, this nation, the, the Babylonians, man, they terrify me. And that such apparent injustice would be allowed on the earth undercuts my foundations, yet I will believe that God, who says his wrath will not overlook evil, will measure it out appropriately in due time. I believe you. God, I believe you, Lord. My fear of, of what is or will be withers before your greatness, and so I wait patiently for what you have promised. Verse 17, we get to that passage that Kate read. And he writes, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Knowing God's strength, he can trust God. Even in crisis, even in the darkest days, he can trust him. Even if all the streams of comfort and sustenance, security are cut off from him, are cut off from his people, I will be secure in your company and joyful in your salvation because I know it will come. I know it will come. Like even when I don't see it, even if I don't feel it or have any evidence of it, I will believe you are working all things for the good of those who love you. 
You are securing for us a victory that we had nothing to do with. And he has. God has done that for each and every one of us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We all, all have failed. And none of us want to like bring bad things into this world or cause other people pain. Yet if we're sincere in our reflection, we know we have. And the mark that we are called to hit is perfection. None of us hit it. All of us fail. We have no ground to stand on. There's no ladder for us to climb. Our only hope was that God would reach his, his hand down to pull us up, and he did. When he came, when he came as Jesus, God in the flesh, in such humility, in such humility that he would take on our limitations, that he would take on our pain, that he would take on our suffering to win us a victory that we couldn't win ourselves, to do for us what we could not do. And man, is he patient, so patient. And you know what? There's a part of that victory that we still hold out hope for, that we haven't quite entered into yet, and we still trust and lean on the patience of our God, that he is patient not neglecting us. He's just patient. We suffer in this world that more might know him. We suffer like he suffered, that more may come into his love, into relationship with him, that more may know the good things he has done, the good God he is. We get to participate in Christ's suffering as long as we live on this earth to accomplish the same things he accomplished. Isn't that amazing? Habakkuk is this story, the lesson, that uh, the vapor of our life may not reflect perfectly balanced scales, but that the one who balances them, God himself, will do so with finality and perfection in due time. He is faithful. No matter what you're going through, no matter when you lift your head up and you look around in this world and you're like, how can this be? Be like Habakkuk. It's so easy, you know, just be like him. Still your heart. Bring yourself before him and let him answer your complaints. You may not see it now. You may not see it completely this side of eternity. But a day is coming when all will be raised for judgment. And to those who have accepted Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection, faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, what that means for their life, the forgiveness of their sins, a welcome into the family of God, it is a free gift that we all receive. He will personally wipe away every tear. Like that is the promise we have, that if we have put our faith in Jesus, when we are raised to life with him, he himself will come and wipe the tears from our eyes, the suffering we have endured as we worked for him and for the, out of love for others. Habakkuk is about faith. In Hebrews 11, it says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I don't think there's a better story that uh, 
examples that than the story that we get in 2 Kings about Elijah. So the king of Syria has decided to take Elijah, God's prophet, as his prisoner. And so he sends an army to the city where the prophet was staying. And under the cover of darkness, the Syrian warriors surround this little city. And when Elijah's servant wakes up early in the morning to begin his usual routine, he he found himself looking out over an army of Syrians. And he cried out to his master in panic saying, what shall we do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? For the prophet Elijah, the choice was clear. And his answer to his servant was simple and full of faith. He says, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. The servant certainly did not see anybody ready and willing to fight on their side. But Elisha saw the situation in a completely different way. He spoke to the Lord on behalf of his servant, saying, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And suddenly the servant was able to see with the same enlightened eyes as Elisha. And the hills around the city weren't empty at all. A mighty host of horses and chariots of fire stood in wait, sent by the Lord to protect his prophet. The Syrians began to advance on the city, unaware that they were vastly outnumbered. And Elijah spoke to God again, asking in faith, Lord, strike this people. Strike them with blind, blindness, I pray. And, and, and chaos broke out among the Syrian ranks as they, as they advanced. And the entire army suddenly went blind and groping about, not knowing what was going on. In a matter of moments, God had delivered Elisha and his servant. And it was faith that opened the eyes of the servant. Satan wants us to, to feel alone. He wants us to feel that we are up against insurmountable odds. He wants us to feel that we can only rely on our own strength. And all these thoughts, all these ideas, that is all deception. In reality, the powers of this world are nothing compared to the power of God. When we are willing to live in a spirit of faith, we can recognize our enemies for what they are. That is condemned and defeated by God Almighty. Whether that enemy (laughs) be poverty, racism, sexual abuse, a broken family, depression, psychosis, When we are willing to live in a spirit of faith, we can recognize our enemies for what they are, condemned and defeated by God Almighty. Even if the victory has not been made manifest, the decision has been made and it will come to pass. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
And all God's people said, amen. Amen.